This is an Area Code podcast. This episode of Table of Malcontents is brought to you by Useful Group, the best digital marketing agency in the world. That was a good radio voice, Dave. Dude, that's what I got, man. But I'm telling you, they are awesome. They're full service, social media, advertising, rebrands, design, websites, strategery, as Debbie would say. They've done a lot of good work with us at Lifeway, in fact. I'm telling you, man, you got to check them out. So they can help you, your business, your church, ministry with all of these things. Just go to usefulgroup.com. That's right, usefulgroup.com. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Nancy Guthrie talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I am Aaron, and with me, as usually always, is Dave. Usually always. Usually always. I say it feels great to be in 2020 when sure you're does. recording a podcast in 2019. I know. I I'm, feel great being in 2020 right, right? now. Right? <laughs> I'm recovering from Christmas in my heart. I, I'm already like 50 books into my 100 book challenge this At, year that I've read already. You did well. I mean, it's it's fascinating you how, went for, how that can happen. You decided to go for 12-page uh, books? <laughs> well, you know, when you've had younger children, you start mm. going through the library, and man, you can really get through that. That's so, true. Full confession. I'm going to start right out. All right. Okay. This is Dave cheating as a maybe third grader you know they would have mm. you kind of fill out books mm-hmm. that you read well i did the ultra skim and i would fill out that i read them enough to get a tcby yogurt all right so wow i, I feel like confession's good for the soul right now i'm just gonna you throw know, that this out this is a safe podcast can space I give, can maybe I, can i give that and we can debate on this podcast whether um grace I, is strong enough for me in this case <laughs> Just in this case. As opposed to all the other cases? All the other cases. Just in this case. Do I need some sort of penance or something like that? Well, well, we're Protestants, so we don't believe in penance penance that way. Well, I figured we were kind of mean (laughs) when it comes to books, so I figured I'm going to throw that out. Well, we're just mean to you. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. Well, well, enough about me. I'm just going to throw that one. Okay. So we have an amazing guest. Nancy Nancy Guthrie is here with us today. Hi, Nancy. Hey. (laughs) Glad to be with you guys. I know. She's I, she's I mean, already regretting this decision. I can is. see it. <laughs> I'm like, this is a quirkier podcast here, Nancy. So you're like a serious Bible teacher. I am a teacher, brave woman. Writer. I am brave. You are. You are. And we're very grateful. So, And Nancy, I think I met you years ago when I was working for another publishing house in town because we shared that in common. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. We never overlapped, I don't think. We just have had similar people we work with and yep. bosses yep. and all of yep. the above. And yeah, I know. I think that's when we connected. And it was originally my boss, David Moberg, mm-hmm. who would say the most amazing things about you. He did? He did. David well, he didn't did. tell me directly, well, so he never I, did. I he, want he, you to tell no, me. No, he's the godfather. He doesn't say these things out loud. He's in a dark room. You know how it is. So he's retired now, so he can just kind of come on. <laughs> but yeah, no, he would He would, He would. would reference you all the time. So, But David also, was also one of those who say, oh, I remember the good old days in the 90s when cash was flowing in left and right and, you know. <laughs> Mm. You know exactly how David would refer to things. Yeah, we had this Chuck Swindoll campaign and, you know, yes. Well, I loved working for him. I I bet. Yeah. Yeah, me too. He was, he's absolutely one of my favorites. So, yeah, I I miss him dearly. He's doing great though. He's retired, I guess. (laughs) I guess now at this point. But, oh well. But I always thought that was funny. I think that's how we were introduced Mm. somehow in that period of time. But, um for those of you who don't know Nancy Guthrie, please, you have to check out. She has a plethora of work. She has She's a Bible teacher. She has written multiple books. We're going to talk about some of them during mm-hmm. the podcast, so I'm not going to introduce too early. But um, as I introduced uh, about Nancy, one thing I think is fascinating about Aunt Nancy, she's one of the very few who has started a career in a publishing house. I guess you you, you and Barnabas have as well, yeah. but you haven't well, exited. Barnabas has exited. That's, that's All right, true. So we're yeah. going to put him in that category. What's it like working what are you, in? What are you trying to say? Do you, do you know something that I don't? To be as awesome as Nancy, you got to leave at some point. That's got really it. what it is. Okay. That's okay. it. Okay. Good to All know. Right? So, did you just give notice for me? I th- well, both of us, apparently. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I need to write a book first before that happens. I have a tell-all Nancy coming out in 20 oh, years. excellent. So right. we can talk it's about it. It's a rolling 20. <laughs> it's a rolling, yeah. It just kind of, yeah. You know. I remember early days working at a public 
at the publishing house at which I worked and the very first salesman for that publishing house, he would always say that he was working on a book called Phonies I Have Known. <laughs> and he, he would accept payment to be kept out of the book. I like yeah, that. I like that. That's really oh, that's good. That's a good idea. It's kind of yeah. like a swear jar. Except, a little bit. Yeah, you can a say, bit. you can bring up the idea of the book when someone made an embarrassing comment. Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, money can make sure this story stays away. I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Gosh, additional revenue. This is the new gig economy here, folks, right here. Absolutely. This is good. This yeah. is really good. Nancy, this has been this has been worth it right That's here. a thank yeah. you to Cy Jackson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what a genius. All right, there yeah. you go. Uh, but no, but yeah, so Nancy, since you've, yeah, you've worked at a publishing house, and I want you to tell a little bit about that. But also, yeah, you've been writing, you've been teaching for many years too. So we're going to talk today about all of kind of what that's been. And when Aaron and I were emailing back and forth with Nancy, you know, we had kind of a framework how we talk about this. Nancy sent like five or six just gold ideas of like how to talk through. I said, perfect, Nancy. This is it. So, yeah. Well, that reflects you know, the fact you know. that my first job in publishing was as a publicist. Yes. Right. Mm, yeah. And so a publicist job is to come up with things for people to talk about in interviews. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. Hey, it stuck with me. All right, how has has publicity changed from day one when you started to oh now? Are give me, you give me kidding? your like. I know I'm gonna. I, get... sh- I should have brought with you with me a picture of me in my first office. So I got a job right out of college as um, an assistant publicist at Word Publishing, mm-hmm. which was based in Waco, Texas. Um, <laughs> I re I, like here's when I talked to the person who hired me, Meg Culler. Um, when I first talked to her on the phone yeah. she, to apply for the job, she said, bring some samples of your writing. Mm. And in college, I successfully got through college without writing, taking any classes in which I had to write. I didn't wa- work for the school newspaper, nothing. I was a radio television broadcasting major. And I said, well, uh, mm, mm, don't really have anything to bring. I mean, like I've got a research paper or a term paper I wrote. And she was like, mm, not that. So I said, no problem. I'll write something. So, you know, there I was at my parents' house having freshly graduated. So I put in my uh, erasable typing paper into the IBM Selectric. And <laughs> I wrote two little pieces about books and authors. So one of them I wrote about one of my favorite books in college and how the author had come to my college and I'd been in charge of hosting him for his campus stuff at the weekend. And that was a book called Decision Making and the Will of God, a Mm. big green book published by Multnomah, uh, written by um, a Multnomah professor named Gary Friesen who had attended the college I went to, John Brown University, Mm -hmm. many years before me. So I wrote about that and how that book had influenced me and what I learned from him and that visit and stuff. I'm sure it was incredibly creative. And then I had read another book. I'm too embarrassed to tell you what it was just at home since I'd been at home. And so I wrote about that book. So I took my two little pieces, you know, and, and I got the job. And I feel like I'm one of those really fortunate people who who in my first job out of college landed in my niche. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had a first, uh, uh, the idea of working at Word at that time, you know, they were such a Christian music powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And I, I had done a lot of singing in college. I was very, I was the music director of the Christian rate at our campus radio station. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get a job at Word in music. But that wasn't open. And so this job in publishing was open. I was like, well, hey, I like books, too. And so I got that job. And oh, my goodness, I feel so fortunate that I landed right in my niche. I felt like that job was made for me. Wow. And, um, you know, my first office, I did have, you know, another little IBM Selectric typewriter. I remember remember that first week getting to uh, to work there. And at the time, Word was really the dominant Christian publisher. There were lots of months when in the Christian bestseller list, which was a big deal at Mm -hmm. that point, I can remember some months during those first couple of years when Word would have seven out of the top 10, which was, you know, big time bragging rights. So Mm -hmm. Word published Billy Graham, Chuck Swindoll, Mm -hmm. um, James Dobson, Mm -hmm. at that time, Joyce Landorf, who was Mm -hmm. the biggest selling female Mm -hmm. author, uh, people like Tony Campolo, Mm -hmm. um, well, as I was there later than Max Lucado. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I remember getting to my office that first day and stacked up on the floor was 
uh, getting ready to mail out you know, then we had to mail out physical books, actually. Yeah. Uh, Love Must Be Tough by James Dobson. <laughs> and, you know, within two weeks of working there, I went to the Christian Booksellers Association Convention. Now, my parents, you know, once they heard what my salary was, they were <laughs> not at all convinced I had a real job. But when I was able to tell them that, okay, I've gone to this event in California. It's my job here to take around Chuck Swindoll and Dale Evans Rogers. Now, you know, to most people, that would not be an exciting name. To my parents' generation, yeah, that I was taking around Dale Evans Rogers. I mean, they finally believed I had a real job, which was great. <laughs> Need pictures, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. so you went to Baylor then? I did not. Out. I you went to a small college called John Brown University oh, okay. in Asylum That's Springs, okay. Arkansas. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I had in mind that you were in town at that point in Waco no. before the job. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Gerald McCracken. Who, the okay. founder of Word yeah. joined the board of trustees of okay. John Brown, mm -hmm. and it was April, yeah. May or April, before I was going to graduate. I had been rejected from being in the journeyman program of a, a two-year missionary yeah. thing and had no idea what I was going to do. And I gathered up all of my courage, yeah. and I went up to Gerald McCracken and I said, I'd love to have a job at Word someday. Yeah. Can you tell me how I might do that? Mm. And he connected me and – that's how that eventually came about. Oh, my. Wow. But everybody yeah. always thought you yeah. must have graduated from Baylor. If right. you were right out of college, you they get, lived they there. They got so many yeah. people came out right. of there. That's why. Right. So, And Susan Ligon was there at the time? Or no, not I yet? hired not Susan okay. Ligon right. in that once we, the company so moved funny. to Las Colinas. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, gosh. Dallas area. Hmm. Love it. I know. Yeah, I've seen that old office there. Yeah, it's really cool. So funny. All right. So when you uh, first got into it, did you – what – Tell me, take me through your first like tour. You worked with an author, mm. and what was that like? What freaked you out? Give yeah. me, give me something there. Well, I, maybe what I would tell you is the thing. Some things I had to struggle with. You know, I had to. Str first of all, I, I remember. So uh, one, the very first word author was a man named Keith Miller, mm -hmm. who wrote a book called The Taste of New Wine. And this was new in Christian publishing because up to that point, Christian publishing had been mostly theological books for pastors. Right. And this was the first just like personal testimony mm -hmm. of this Episcopal layperson mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. came alive to Christ. So he had been Word's first author, was a very important author. And I remember we were launching a book of his and we were going to have a wine and cheese party. <laughs> And I grew up in publishing. Wait, hold on. Yeah. One second. You going to believe that Fer out? Fermented or unfermented? Well, that's just it. I mean, to me, Christians just did not drink. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's right. what I had grown up with yeah. and understood. So this created a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. um, as time went on, I just, you know, seeing authors up close as real people was often quite disillusioning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw people break their word. They said, I'll have this to you then, and they didn't, or yeah. whatever. I saw greed. I saw ego. Uh, you know, as a publicist, mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that I felt like the author's uh, attitude toward me was make me a star. Mm -hmm. And that was all kind of a turnoff. And then came a real crisis when one of our major authors uh, had a had an affair. Mm -hmm. Um so all of those things yeah. were in many ways disillusioning, but I also have to say the other side. I mean, to get to see up close some incredible things. You know, mm -hmm. I, I remember, you know, like there was one author I went with to lunch and she was really rude to the waitress. And so those kind of things were mortifying to me. And I would look at that and I would think, boy, I never want to be like that. Yeah. But then there would be other things. I remember so well making a trip out for a sales conference that was in California and went to Ann Ortland's office. And she had just gotten her royalty check. And she was sitting at her desk writing out checks to various missionaries and mission organizations. And wow. she could not have been more excited to be doing that. Wow. And just, you know, I mean, that wasn't set up for me. Yeah. I just walked in on that kind of joy of generous giving. Hmm. Wow, I got to see that. I I remember one time um, at that in those days, Tony Campolo, you know, he was speaking over 300 times a year. Mm -hmm. And um, it, he was at we were at an event in Dallas and he had committed to go speak to the Rotary Club of Fort Worth. And so we drove over to Fort Worth. We go in there and here's all of these really high powered 
business people because they're the Rotarian leaders, right? Yeah. And they're crowding around him to talk to him. And in walks this guy who he's young and he's he runs a karate shop or karate school, right? Yeah. And you could just tell by the body language that the big business people yeah. really didn't Don't want him like to him. interrupt on their time with Tony Campolo, mm -hmm. the big author. Yeah. And but what is Tony? I watched Tony. Tony brings him in focuses the conversation inviting him to talk about his business and just you know i was i was young and just watching that i was like okay i want to be like that yeah. mm -hmm. i want to be like that that person who um just elevates someone and includes yeah. them and i remember saying something to his wife one time about that and she said yeah you know we brought our kids up saying it's nice to be important but it's more important to be nice and I just got to witness yeah. a lot of both terrible things, you know, and sure. mm -hmm. things, but but all of them shaped me. Mm -hmm. um, I never dreamed that I would ever be an author. I never aspired yeah. to be an author. People would ask me, are you going to write a book someday? And I would always say, I will never know enough about one thing to write a whole book about it. Mm. But I do remember one of our authors. Uh, do you remember I'm dating myself because no, I'm older right. no, than no, you guys. No, no, all right. no. So there was an author named Maribel Morgan. Okay. All right. Uh -uh. Her big book was called The Total Woman, which was uh -huh. made big on Donahue. You'll remember this. When uh -huh. she's told Donahue. wives to go to the front door wrapped, wearing only saran wrap. Oh. Okay. Is this too old for you guys? Don't even know no, this. No, I don't remember this. All right. No. So, I mean, all of us women no. in the marketing part, we're here. We're going to do a book by Maribel Morgan. And we're just like... You've got to be kidding. Um, but then we all fell in love with her. She was, oh, she was just the real deal. But I remember her sticking her head in my office one time and she was visiting the word offices. And she just looked at me and she said, Nancy, start writing some things down because you're going to write a book someday. And I kind of brushed that off. But yeah. sure enough, she was right. Yeah, I love that. All right. So this begs the question with all of them, too. Did you have a favorite author during that time? Oh, man. Yeah. And well, who surprised you the most about that? Um, and yeah, just what's been your favorite author during that era? Who should we still be reading now? That's that's the other sub question with it. I know it's tough. Here's the thing for me, Dave. Yeah. You know, I was working at a generally evangelical publisher. Yes. Which I, you know, I worked for them for many years, and then yeah. I worked for the Christian Booksellers Association, yeah. doing their media relations for lots of years, and for various books. Um, I mean, and for various publishers, doing publicity for their books mm -hmm. as an then independent media relations business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even understand the word reformed. <laughs> I never heard the word reformed. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's, not, it's, it's not a Texas word. <laughs> <laughs> not in the eighties. Well, Sorry, well, it can't wasn't say that a word, word in, in my world. And so, you know, I look back at some of those books that we published, um, and you know, many were helpful, yeah. strong. But see, when I discovered Reformed theology, mm -hmm. that just changed my world so much mm -hmm. that it makes it very hard. I mean, mm -hmm. I've got I've got an office now that has a wall of bookshelves, and I've got a little section of my books yeah. from that era. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess there's not a huge number of them I that I put in front of people and say, you must read this. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's sounding kind of snobby. And I don't, no. I don't mean to sound that way. It, um, you know, it, it, it's not, I know what you mean. Cause yeah, same thing working. Um, uh, although the house evolved over time, you know, when I worked mm -hmm. for, I'll just say Tom Snelson, we've talked about this before, but uh the real idea is a wider editorial standard. There you go. So that yeah. means you're going to have, you will have some reform writers that they'd certainly publish today, but the reality is you've got a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And so I was always surprised in ones that I had an opinion on, <laughs> certainly because I just kind of knew them from a distance or didn't like, but loved them as people, you know, certainly, you know, I thought they were great and they were living the way Tony Campolo would show mm -hmm. that type of grace and, uh, yeah compassion for somebody who kind of feels like an outsider and there's I something mean, the thing is i look back at some of the things that i did get to work on that i totally missed mm -hmm. for example uh word at the time published carl henry's sixth volume mm -hmm. uh, god revelation and authority mm -hmm. and then we published his autobiography <laughs> and 
and we, you know, and I worked with them. So it was very personal. And we, I, I got to go to a book launch party hosted by Chuck Colson at uh, Prison Fellowship headquarters yeah. Yeah. to launch that book. But I didn't have a sense of who he was. Yeah. And I look back now and I think, wow, I so wish I had saved all of that handwritten because I got handwritten letters yeah. from him. Oh, wow. Handwritten correspondence about his autobiography. And I just, you know, I didn't really grasp who is, he was at Bar- that point. Born Again, that one? Or what was that? No, Which I'm one talking was about. Uh, oh, Chuck Colson, I was thinking of. Chuck Colson. Chuck no, Colson, But thank the you. book that I was working yes. on was. Carl Henry's his, autobiography. Thing, his autobiography. Okay. Yeah, Chuck Colson right. had a party for yes. him to launch thank it. You. Yeah. Okay. So the autobiography yeah. of Carl Henry, I, you know, I just wish I had all of yeah. that handwritten uh, correspondence about that. But yeah. at that time in my life, I wasn't necessarily theologically driven. I was kind mm-hmm. of a theological thinker, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't theologically driven and I didn't have the capacity to value that mm-hmm. uh, the way that I would today. Right. Sure. Can uh, can we camp out on that one that one point that you just made um, that you were a theological thinker but not yeah. theologically driven? How would you how would you define the difference between those yeah. two? Well, uh, you know, I think one reason that I felt like I'd fallen into my niche was I was interested. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't just a job to me to work on these books. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I read them and I saw things, mm, I don't know about that. Or, oh, yeah, and I'm learning from this. You know, those kinds of things. And so I, I, I cared about theological issues and matters. But like all of us, you know, most of us, especially theologically, you know, we are products of what we've been exposed to mm-hmm. and what we consume. Mm. And... So I had a, a limited view based on how I had grown up and, you know, mm-hmm. what I was taught studying Bible in college, you know, who my professors were yeah, and who yeah. they had us read and then who yeah. I was working with in the in the general evangelical publishing world. Mm-hmm. And so I was always very interested in that. But, yeah, I guess I, get, I lacked exposure certainly to the Reformed faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. My, my. All right. So tell us if you were a publicist for 15 years in the industry. Is that well, yeah. I was at Word for six years. Okay. And then when I had my son, Matt, who's yeah. now 29. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I left Word and started uh, my own business immediately serving various publishers, doing media relations. And then my main client for 19 years was the Christian Booksellers Association. Yeah, right. Wow, took for them directly. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Wow, were they based in Colorado then Mm -hmm. too? Okay, Mm -hmm. always were. Okay, gotcha. Wow, all right. Well, tell us a little bit about, all right, since you were kind of parking on – getting into writing since you got yeah. that advice like start writing down your kind of ideas and because reality is you're going to write didn't. at some point okay mm. you never took the advice no at that time no okay <laughs> did that stay with you though anyways the fact that wow someone is no. looking me in the eye no you didn't i loved no. being a publicist okay. and i loved working with other people's materials sure and i think my my ability to work with words and ideas, sure. you know, uh, made me good at that to be able, you know, as a publicist, you get handed a manuscript and you have to, okay, what's the good stuff? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. what's going to be interesting for people to talk about on a show like this? There weren't podcasts yeah. then. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then the other thing I did for 15 years was I produced all of Word and then later Thomas Nelson's audiobooks. <sighs> So for 15 years, I would get the new releases from Swindoll, Chuck Maxwell, uh, John John Maxwell, um, John MacArthur, uh, all of those books, Max, Lucado. Mm -hmm. So I would get them. They're about 70,000 words. And it would be my job to get them down to what I usually 29,000 words (laughs) so that I could so that it could be recorded in a three-hour recording and fit on two cassettes. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. And later I had to figure out how to fit to, it on CDs. Today, I mean, it's just more studio time. You have to deal with it. It's exactly. not, nothing to do yeah, with uh, was, Okay, I'm going to do two 90-minute cassettes. And so yeah. I got to get that book down to that. And so, yeah. That's you know, I, so I look back at all these things, 
all these things yeah. so beautifully prepared me for what I do now. I mean, yeah. to, to to condense that audiobook, I had to figure out what's the main point and what's essential to the argument, what's not essential to the argument, and how do I condense this in a way it's going to make sense. Mm. So Could that was a good skill. Could you start teaching skill that to yeah. all authors everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> just to write their books from that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, we, we have a tough enough problem I feel like just getting people to read period in us, you know, I mean, there are there. We've loved our 800,000 page books, but the reality <laughs> you is loved you your 800,000 page books. Thank you. I do. I yeah. do that experience. It's, it's that one but, history book that counts as 37 on your well, list of 50 <laughs> so far. I, I suppose I should admit yeah. that uh, recently I was talking to an organization wanted to put my most recent uh, book called Even Better Than Eden, Nine mm -hmm. Ways the Bible Story Changes Everything About Your Story. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to do it on video and they wanted to take each chapter and make it 23 minutes. And Oof. I finally just said to them, I can't do it. I can't do it. So maybe I ought to take a dose of my own medicine if I'm going <laughs> to. Well, well, but I mean, there's a limit to it too. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Nancy, do you listen to a lot of audiobooks? I'm not Today. a big audiobook listener. My husband okay. is a massive consumer of audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I do occasionally, like when I'm going to go on a long drive, I want yeah. an audiobook that's going to, especially yeah. if I'm by myself, yeah. you know, sure. that's going to keep me engaged sure. and awake. But, you know, the last audiobook I tried to listen to, well, not the last one, but like I, mm -hmm. when I think of one, I, tr I tried to listen to the Dietrich Bonhoeffer book. Okay. <sighs> Oh my god. On audio. All right. So, you know, it has all of these names. Books like this. I know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I thought a long trip, I could do mm -hmm. this, right? But it was all it was all the names and places mm -hmm. that I it, those kind of things make me realize I have to see this in writing to be able to track who's who and especially like if they're, you know, strange names that I don't know how to say. Yeah. Um I, I, it didn't work uh, well for me. It didn't, no, no. I don't think I finished it. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, you may answer this question through that, but yeah, do you consider listening to an audiobook, reading a book? Sure. Okay. There we go. Oh, I'm actually surprised by that. No, that's good. No, no, I, that's I know. Good. That's good. No, we're, I, we're it's an ongoing you. debate. It with, is. Really? Yeah. And I'm really. always curious. I, yeah. I, I look at I look at Nancy as wise, and and she she felt like you know she yeah. you've worked in well, audiobooks as well as you've consumed them. I mean, yeah, th this may put settle this right I here. I think so. I, I think, think Nancy's doing yeah, it for us. So. That's right. <laughs> we'll have some people who vehemently <laughs> deny oh, really? that, that that's yes. reading oh. a and book, and it's okay for them yeah. to be wrong. It's just yeah. there's a thing. Yeah. I, I, we all have only so much time. Yes, right? and it's and absorbing. the time when I have yeah. you know. A big chunk of time. It is when I'm driving and I can't be doing much other right. than listening. Yeah. But boy, I can I can take in a book. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's too yep. funny. That's right. That's right. right. You know, there's a lot of people who, since it's the new year, they're gonna be embracing audiobooks, at least for their Bible, for a little while, if they want to get through it. Yeah. I mean it's uh I'm a big maximizer. So that's how I like, I mean, I like both mm -hmm. experiences, but mm -hmm. you're, you said it right there. Like, we are very busy people, and yeah. almost everyone has some form of a commute. So, right. or you're working out, walking your dog. Now, it whatever. depends on your purpose for yeah. reading. Like, you know, mm -hmm. r right now I'm, I'm collecting books for a class I'm going to take in January. So this morning I was online figuring out, you know, am I going to get those books? Yeah. And the class I'm taking, they're all going to be books that maybe I could read even on books.google because they're yeah. ancient books, they're sure. Puritans. Yeah. But I'm looking at that and going, can I read that for real comprehension? Yeah. Yeah. Online that way. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I'm going to need a physical book that I can underline, circle. I just need a physical book for yeah. that if I really got to learn it. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I, even though I know there's tremendous things that can be done online in terms of tracking, absorbing information, but I know I, I'm most fascinated with children and even up to college age students who have grown up with digital, but at the same time, they're preferring physical books mm -hmm. for studying in particular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah which yeah. I think fi I find fascinating. I just figure, like, well, I mean, if all you know is this, but you prefer this physical experience, they, they keep choosing it. So mm -hmm. that's great. All right, walk us through the transition to becoming a writer. And also, um, kind of what was that like, first book process? I'd love mm -hmm. to hear that from you. Well, it wasn't that I set out saying, hey, I want to write a book because yeah. I've worked in publishing. Mm -hmm. You know, my first book comes out of an experience that I yeah. had, uh, the experience of the death of my daughter, Hope, and then mm -hmm. my son, Gabriel. Mm -hmm. 
But I actually, the way it began was I was sitting in Bible study fellowship. I was maybe seven months pregnant with our son, Gabriel. This was after uh, we'd had a a daughter, Hope, who lived for six months, who was born with a rare metabolic disorder called Mm -hmm. Zellweger syndrome, who died. And because after that, we knew, my husband and I, whenever we have a child, that child would have a 25% chance of having the fatal syndrome. So we took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy, and evidently it hadn't worked. And so I was pregnant. We had done prenatal testing, and I knew this child was going to die too. So it was a very significant time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was sitting there in BSF, and we – were in Matthew and we studied the parable, what's often called the parable of the talents. Mm. And so in that story, there is a master and he's going away and he entrusts to various servants, various resources. Mm -hmm. And he has one expectation that those resources would be invested for a return for his kingdom. And I so clearly remember the teacher that day, she looked out and she just asked the question, so what has God placed in your hands? And I sat there that day, and I, th- I thought, well, he's given me this understanding of books and publishing. I know who's who. I know how a book gets put together, all of that. Mm-hmm. He's given me a love for and some understanding of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. He's given me some communication ability. And then on top of that, he's giving me this very unusual experience that may make people willing to listen to what I have to say. So all of a sudden, I saw myself like loaded down with resources that had been placed into my hands. And, you know, when my daughter Hope had died about a year and a half before that, having worked in publishing, of course, everybody said to me, are you going to write a book? Are you going to write a book? Now, here's the thing. I had sat in on plenty of publishers committee meetings where people who had lost children wrote a book about it and submitted it to be published. And we said, no. I mean, there are tons of those books written. Yeah. And so I there's there was that. There was also this experience that I've kind of been already talking about, the sense in which um, I had I'd been deep enough in publishing to see a lot of people have incredible experiences and then, in my view, exploit them. Mm -hmm. for themselves and it became all about them and i tell you what you guys you know uh, in those months after my daughter hope died i as i thought about that i thought well what makes me think i'm above that Uh, i don't think those people went into it necessarily planning it but somehow it just became all about them and i just thought if i wake up one day and sense that i am exploiting hope for to make something of myself that would be so painful. I couldn't bear it. Mm-hmm. And so I just put aside any uh, any thoughts of, of writing about that. Yeah. But then there I was that day in Bible study. And I saw myself loaded down with these resources. And see, here was the difference that I saw in that scripture that day. It wasn't a return for the kingdom of the servant. It was all for a return for the kingdom of the master. Mm. But that's what made all of that different. And I went home that day, and during Hope's life, uh, Lisa Harper, who was head of women's ministry at our church at the time, she had asked me to share with the women of our church just all that I was learning in our experience with Hope. Hope was about five months old at the time. Yeah. And during Hope's life, I had studied the book of Job. I uh. had wanted to try to understand how does a godly person lose so much and question God boldly in the midst of loss? Mm-hmm. And then emerge from it with a life described as good. And I wanted to figure that out because at that point in my life, I thought my life will never be good again. I just couldn't imagine that it would be. So that night to the women in my church, I just talked about a number of the things that I had observed in the life of Job that I thought had propelled him toward life again. And I just stashed away those notes. So that day, after BSF, what has God placed in your hands? And I saw myself as the servant who, instead of investing the resources for a return for a kingdom, out of fear of doing the wrong thing, had done nothing Mm -hmm. and had just buried them. And I went home that day. I pulled those notes out of my file, and I began writing my first book, which was ended up being called Holding On to Hope. 
mm. a pathway through suffering to the heart of God. Mm. And it was just my walk through the book of Job, um, trying to understand how God could do a work that would make life good again in the midst of the worst that life has to offer. Mm. And so then I – but I, I had to decide – I mean, having that experience, knowing, okay, publishers don't want to publish another book by someone who's lost a child. First of all, I had to decide, is this worth me doing it if nobody does want to publish it? Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, here I was. I was seven months pregnant and I was getting ready to walk through the death of a child a second time. And I just decided, okay, what I'm doing here is there are these truths that I have a sense of. But the very process of writing them in such a way to communicating communicate them to someone else, they become clearer and sharper to me. And so if the only result of this is that I become more solid on these biblical truths as I prepare to go through this a second time, if that's all that comes of this, fine. Yeah. It'll be worth it. And so – I, I did it, but you know, then I submitted it to a couple of publishers and got a couple of authors offers, amazingly, mm. wow. and then had to choose. And so Tyndale, you know, Doug Knox, who was the head of the Knox Group of Publishing at that time, he had held hope at one of those CBA conventions, and he said yes. And so they published it, and it became Holding On to Hope, and that significantly changed my life in lots of ways uh, mm -hmm. well you know there's, there's certainly I'll, I'll say this today and we're still accepting you know proposals that come in like that not as often I know exactly I've been in those meetings where we said no I've been and said yes to and I think the you, you hit on something that is so important and it's your posture it's your posture toward what's listen Lord like God was preparing you um, you could someone say on the outside for better or worse, but the reality is like he was preparing you all along for how to be able to share um, a story mm -hmm. like that um, over the years in publishing. It sounds like I mean, and would you? That's why I see some Absolutely. people who just say, who come in and say, I've got this um, tragedy, this story right. I have. I don't but know they anything don't know. about writing. Right. I don't know anything about <laughs> publishing. Yeah. But everybody who's read my blog or read my Facebook post, they say you should write a book. Yeah. And it's to, to a publisher, it's generally not enough if you kind of lead with that. So I know it does not diminish at all what the person has gone through whatsoever. It's just. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think that one yeah. reason I got a yes to holding on to hope. One of that those reasons was kindness. <laughs> mm. uh, but the other reason was it wasn't really the story of my loss. I used my loss as illustration yeah. of biblical truth walking through the book of Job. Yeah. So that's very yeah. different than just I'm going to write my story and hope people are blessed, yeah. inspired, yeah. moved, whatever by it. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, that makes sense. I mean, there is a – I mean, particularly the the current trend, I mean, if, you know, the last 10 years can really be called current, has been the move toward, um, you know, more of a memoir, memoir-y yeah. type – style where it's just snapshots in both secular and Christian yeah. publishing. Um, and so often we, it just is a, it's just them talking, the author talking about themselves as opposed mm -hmm. to talking about something that is fundamentally and fundamentally deeply and beautifully true. And that can actually help someone as opposed to here's what I think about whatever. And, um, that's the kind of stuff that scares me as a writer is I don't want to do that. I want anything that I write to actually be – unless I'm intentionally trying to write something that's just fun and funny, yeah. I want it to be connected to something that actually matters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Wow. Well, Nancy, no, thanks for sharing about that. Yeah, sure. I don't even know that full story. So mm -hmm. um, – and um, – and yeah, in publishing, uh, there are a lot of very personal stories that come through. It's hard saying no, <laughs> especially when you don't have the ability to kind of talk through them with it. Because it's just, it's hard. You have to learn to separate a little bit. But yeah, that's, that's huge. So yeah, any any listener out there, I'm, you have a story. <laughs> and you uh, it very well may uh, be meant to be in a book. But uh, one maybe thing, not. Maybe not. And that's, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a blog post. Yeah. 
maybe it's just a story you share personally with other people. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. pe- people today can think yeah. that the, in some ways that the only way God uses their story is that somehow it becomes a book. And that just isn't so. Yeah. But, you know, the. So, I, you know, I get a lot of people who write me, say, you know, I have this story and everybody's telling me yeah. I should write a book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things I tell them. Yeah. First of all, I say, well, try, try writing a short piece that you get published somewhere and see how people respond to it. Especially how do people who don't know you, they weren't there. They didn't know the person who yeah. died or whatever. Yeah. You've got to find out, does, does your story and the insight you have about it. Or the insight you have about the scriptures or about God and how he works in suffering, these things. Do those insights transfer to be of interest and impact to people who do not know you? So give that a try first. But the other thing I say is, here's the thing. Your story might have the power to interest someone, inspire someone, move someone, But there is only one story that has the power to make dead people alive. And that is the story of the gospel. And so if you really want to have impact on people, then figure out how to use your story to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Because that's the story that's worthwhile telling. That's a hard stop right there. That's, that, a, that, that's, that's a good place. It's <laughs> a good place. Oh, All right. So, that was excellent. Yeah. Nancy, that's a that's a great place for I us know. to actually wrap yeah, this, this part of our one. conversation. Yeah. Um, anyway, but we're going to have you on for another episode. Okay. Excellent. I, I got I'm more to talk about. about. Can you tell? Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we got more to go through. But yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Thank you. Um, I think we'll hold the Jack Reacher sucker punch. <laughs> yeah, that'd be until kind of a weird one. Right? That'd be a weird yeah. one. We'll do that in the next yeah, one. Yeah, that'll yeah. be more of the uh, other open yeah. con. But we can we can't talk about what we're reading though. That's true. Let's do that. That's we can't true. Do that. Nancy, would you like to share first? Yeah. What, what I am reading. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm trying. I, I have since 2009. So now that I mean, it's been a long time now. I've been taking online. I've been working on a seminary degree online. All right. So I just take a class here and there yeah. between writing actual books and mm-hmm. doing a lot of speaking and stuff. Yeah. So right now I'm working on a class. And so all I'm reading is stuff for class. All right. So oh. for the, but it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I take the classes. Yeah. And when people ask me about taking seminary classes, I say, you know, the lectures are great yeah. and being forced to interact with the material is great. Probably the greatest benefit from me in seminary classes has been the books yeah. that I have been challenged to read. And they're books I would want to read, but I probably wouldn't have read, except I had to read it for a class, right? Now, the truth is, the class I'm taking now, it's kind of my area of focus and specialty. So I have read these books actually before, but I'm reading them differently because I'm going to get quizzed on them, right? So um, I'm reading Biblical Theology by Gerhardus Voss, which I have read before, but I'm reading more carefully now. Uh, read by Vern Poitras, uh, Understanding Dispensationalists, and O. Palmer Robertson's uh, The Christ of the Covenants, because I'm taking a class on covenant theology. So cool. I know that might not be the kind of books that you were hoping to no, hear no, that I have read, no, that's, but that's no, what I'm we, reading now. We, we, yeah. You asked. We have a variety, and, I, and I'll yeah. illustrate the See, variety the only, here when the I share The only judgment we really have for, for books is when Dave is reading Nicholas Sparks, and that's oh, about gosh, it. Oh, gosh, that's love, embarrassing, love me isn't it? Nicholas Sparks. And <laughs> yeah. Come on. Here's the other thing, as I'm constantly reading books for endorsement. <laughs> mm. I get a lot of endorsement <sighs> requests, and so, yeah. How do you deal with that? And, 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 and how many blessed, no's do you Nancy, give to a yes? You have blessed us with many. So, nah, like, really, I'm very grateful. But, yeah, uh, so. but here's the thing. Oh, gosh. Let me just say, <laughs> I'm also in the middle of asking for endorsements mm, for my yeah. next book. All right? So that that's when you kind of go, Quit oh, man, quo. both there sides of this suck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I wish endorsements didn't matter, but mm. they do. They do. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they do. They really do. Yeah. So here. I, because I get more endorsement requests than I can accept, yeah. here's mm-hmm. my rules. has to be a book I'd want to read anyway. Mm-hmm. Cool. Has, I have to know the author personally. Mm-hmm. Because I've been burned a couple times when maybe I liked it. But on, honestly, when I'm endorsing the book, I'm endorsing that person and their ministry. Yeah. yeah. 
And yeah. so I've been burned by that a couple yeah. times, right? And and so sure. it's got to be somebody I know personally. Got to be a book I want to read anyway. And then, frankly, it depends on how many do I already have in my stack, and that with my other yeah. commitments mm-hmm. I can do because I'm there. I can't say that I've never endorsed a book that I didn't really read. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to spend some time in it. But most books, I wanted to have really see what's going on. Like uh, recently, yeah. I got asked to endorse a book that was one of those that was written by about 10 or 15 different writers. And they were like, well, you can just read a couple of the chapters. Or, and I'm like, it's like, no. no. And it was on a controversial yeah. topic. It was like, no. I can't touch I don't have time yeah. to read this word for word. And so, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't. I, another one I got asked to, this was more than you wanted for the answer for this no, question. This is, no, actually, no, no, this, <laughs> is, this, is, this is fascinating. Right. I got asked to read a book, loved the topic, um, know the author, think he is awesome, have read some of his other books. I'm reading through the book and there's no footnotes. And so I emailed him, I said, am I missing the footnotes? And his response to me was that he had decided it would be more readable if it didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had already like pulled out – oftentimes when I'm reading a book I really like, I start a file that says quotes I like. And yeah. as I'm reading – because I'm usually reading electronically yeah. and I pull out quotes yeah. I like. And I love to send that to the other and go, here's things I love that you said. Yeah. And I'd already – I mean, I had about 20 quotes from this book. But I had to write it back and just say, you know what? I've got a, I've got a problem with this. Uh, mm-hmm. If you quoted me and you didn't say that that was for me and where it was from – that would bother me. Mm-hmm. And likewise, this guy, I just kind of thought, if people were quoting you in some other books, you yeah. would want that. Yeah. So I just had to say, I'm sorry I can't endorse this book, even though I love the message of the book. Because I just feel like – I feel like he's vulnerable there, for yeah. one thing. Right? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's – good. That's a, that's, a, that's a good, high, and also reasonable standard, I would say. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've it's much some... higher than than my current standard. It's would you? Yeah, would you? <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> be your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. I'm gonna ruin this all. Uh, except Aaron will laugh. Uh, this is a gift from Aaron, which I love. I'm. Reading... Oh, I thought you were gonna say. No, I'm no, gonna no, ruin no, this all until no. Aaron, and then he's gonna make it. No, even I'm just worse. gonna illustrate how different all of us can be. Sometimes okay. I'm reading Seinfeldia, which is Aaron, which, Aaron, which yes. it's you know I mean come on when you you're from the 90s you you have to be a Seinfeld it's a fan. Great Book. It's a really fun. I, I've read a few fan like books or kind of the story of, and this one is top notch. And because yeah. it goes into so much of the writing and where the stories come from and how an idea gets developed. That's what I loved mm-hmm. about the fact uh, that it was how you find your uh, your niche ultimately. I mean, did so, either of you yeah. guys ever read no. that book by, you know, the name Ted Nancy, who's like a writer on Seinfeld and one of his friends? And the mm. whole book is letters fake letters he wrote to corporations and the no, responses he got one. back from them. No, I haven't oh seen this. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. all. It's, yeah. it's an oldie, oh. but yeah. goodie. Yeah. I mean, because they're real letters, you yeah. know, like one of them's like, you know, to the Frito company about, yeah. you know, would they make Fritos that would have certain shapes or, you know, just that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. then they, the people don't realize it's a joke. Yeah. And the company's writing back. Yeah. Anyway, Ted, so, Ted yeah. L. Nancy. And I think uh, okay. Was, I'm going to well, find that yeah. one. So, so right. this, this, this Seinfeldi is my evening book right now. My morning <laughs> one is. is Do you go to sleep when you're reading at night? Does it put you to sleep? Uh, no, I, I will just like so I read something like this at night because I'm t- I'm a morning right. person, so and I'm you've not been sure. Working on reading it's an, hard stuff. It's an all day. easy book to yeah. read through and be amused by. I mean, yeah. the TV could be on the background. Like okay. my wife's watching some too. It's no big deal. Okay. But uh, but I'm reading. You know, finally finishing up Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Oh, finally, wow. finally. Oh, but that's a nice morning quiet one. Totally different from each other. Yeah, I mean, and but I'm just as entertained by each. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. Aaron. Wow. Oh man, what am I going through right now? <laughs> well, I'm still. I'm at this point. I'm still probably trying to read Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I'm just so to be honest. We, we had a, a book club here, and uh, and Aaron kept saying he wanted to be in on this book club, but he would never show up for it because I not was finishing traveling the, the whole time. He's traveling. It is. It is traveling. a long book, but it is very. You have read it. You're giving me. You no, have not. No. Okay. Listen, it's, I'm I am okay. the most illiterate yeah. person you, you have ever had on this podcast. I promise you. I have. I. Have, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I, I, I haven't oh. read most And you lived in books. Texas for so long, too, and you don't I, read Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove was okay. huge when you were working in publishing, too. Well, I was busy mm. reading Chuck Swindoll, yeah. you know? <laughs> That's all right. 
Well, it it's is. All right. It was. Uh, I would have rather read it during a slower period of life. How about that? That's my only that's kind good. of yeah thing. You're very busy. It's hard when you're moving around. Yeah, a lot. and that's the thing. Is it, so it took, it took me a month and a half because I just yeah I would read a couple hundred pages and not read anything for a week and a half. Well, and, then, and see, I'm I'm yeah. just like I'm just having a hard time with it. I have not been connecting with it like with we we, we had the writing epi- style or we anything had an episode like that, about so. westerns because we didn't we don't read a lot of westerns. I'll read yeah. some Kermit McCarthy, but that's mm-hmm. not really all that western. And so, but is it important it was, to have read westerns? Is my question. Um, I would say a few of them. I think we talked about the people, the serial westerns out there, which I, I, I don't think I want to get into that. That's like reading <laughs> the next John Grisham novel. They just keep coming out all the time, right? So, um, yeah. but so, but this, it is really good. The characters mm-hmm. are when it's really good writing, brilliant storytelling, it works. But yeah. I don't think I could do it all the time. There you yeah, go. That's so. right. But I do have. Um, I do have a couple other things on the go. One is uh, Dan Allender's The Wounded Heart, which is a very mm. slow and difficult read. Um, so it's slow and difficult in a different way than Lonesome Dove is slow and difficult. Um, and um, a, my fun read is Justice League Volume 4, The Sixth Dimension, because I also like books with pictures. <laughs> Don't we all? It's we, okay. we absolutely Don't we do. All. We absolutely do. It's just a different form of storytelling, and and that's what I love about it. So you know, I was just oops, I was just given or no, I did purchase from Robert Room the that it's a uh, visual bio on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I can't mm-hmm. remember. It's really cool. I need to yeah. show it to you. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Another one you're talking about? Okay, yeah, but I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's actually quite good. Yeah, but yeah. I thought like this is written for an adult. I, I yes, got it, it is something I could kind of read with the kids. And yeah, I read you a few can't pages. Get that to I thought the kids. no, nope. it's it's pretty it's pretty graphic. Too. Yes, it is. So uh, yes, it is. But I'm like it's it's enjoyable though for something with a different yeah. sound. All right, there you go. Cool. All right, so Nancy, thanks for joining us for this You're episode. Yeah. Um, Dave, thanks for showing up today. This is good. You look rested from Christmas and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've already accomplished yeah. half my goals. That's right. So much, go. so much. This is going to be a good year for you. All right. So, uh, listeners, thanks for hanging out. Do leave your sincere or not five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Honestly, we just want your endorsement. We don't care how, even if you've listened. So, not in the way Nancy just described no, of having no, like it's a the good, opposite. genuine endorsement. No, no we'll just take opposite. them either way. That's, That's it, right. So. That's right. We're uh, pretty right. shameless. Yeah. So, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. This is an Area Code podcast.